Hello, my name is Caitlin, and today I'm here with R, Rose, and Andrea to talk about re-entry into society. We're all public health students at the University of Buffalo, and we're interested in talking about re-entry into society after getting out of prison. Re-entry is the term used to describe what a person goes through after they get out of prison. A person has a lot to do after they get out of prison. They have to find somewhere to live. They have to find a job so they can eat. They have to go back to school if they want to. There's just a lot of things that people are dealing with when they get out of prison. And it's important for someone to re-enter themselves back into society so they can become a functional human again and fend for themselves and not end up back in prison. Because when people don't have a successful re-entry, that can lead to recidivism and an endless cycle of incarceration. So our topic today is re-entry in terms of higher education. We're looking at re-entry onto academic campuses such as the University of Buffalo, and we'd like to explore how our society is handling re-entry for people who were once incarcerated who would now like a higher education. It's important we look into our own campus that stands for inclusion, that we are practicing what we preach for all groups prone to inclusion. Bad boys or bad, bad system. system. We started off our journey by speaking to Sharon Nolan Wise. She's the director of EDI on our campus, which deals with inclusion. And um, I talked with her about um, the, the process for students as well as employees who will be um, employed by the U UB who have felonies. Um, I talked to her about what, what is the application process like and what are the restrictions for those students as well as employees. She talked about how we don't usually ask um, if students or employees have felonies, especially undergrad students, and only in terms of campus living, clinical internships that would be like with the law school or the medical school or uh, pharmacy school or study abroad um, because there are rules for study abroad where you can't go on the trip if you are a felon. Um, when it comes to um, employing um, people who just work at UB, they only ask you if you have a felony if you are offered the job. So if you have maybe a drug offense or a sexual offense, you can- Hold up, hold up, hold up. You said a sexual offense? Okay, so before this podcast, I was actually trying to look into a couple individuals who have an association with University of Buffalo. And so I found two individuals. The first individual has a felony for a drug offense, and he wanted to become a lawyer. He applied to UB, and that was a whole other story. But then the second person, I won't name names, Dr. Kruger, don't you worry. <laughs> but this person is actually a sexual offender, and he's working on our campus. So Andrea, what did you learn from EDI, and how is this person actually working at our campus? That's a great question, Rose, because that's what I was thinking during the interview. So when I asked her about um, the individual who applied to the law school, her statement was that UB is taking a risk whenever they 
um, have somebody get into professional school, whether it be medical school or law school, whatever professional school you're going for. When it comes to the law, you can go through law school, you can wanna be a lawyer, take your boards, great. When it comes down to taking that state licensure, if you have a felony, New York State might not give you that licensure. So then you be loses money. So while it may be a money issue, it's also the issue of do they want to take that risk? And UB didn't want to take that risk with him. That's why they had him go to a different school. That's why they denied him two times. While is it fair? No. Me and Sharon discussed that. It's not fair. You don't know what that person can do. You don't know what he may have to offer. He is somebody who's been through the prison system for drugs. And UB right now um, is in the middle of an opioid epidemic in Buffalo. So he could be the perfect lawyer to represent people who don't have that representation. But did UB want to take that risk? No, they didn't. Okay, so if they didn't want to take a risk with a future lawyer, why would they take a risk with a sexual offender working on campus? That's an amazing question. Amazing, okay? Because we also had that conversation about sexual offenses because we have two daycares on this campus. Now, he does work on North, and it's not too far from the daycare. I don't know the rules on that. Sharon didn't divulge the rules on, the, the rules on that. And from my research, I couldn't really find uh, the, the specifics of that. But I think that, you know, because he is an employee rather than a student, and he's working, as she said, he's working with um, a lot of other people around him. So he's kind of monitored, in a sense, in like his office life. They're not um, really worried about him. Even though we have an open campus, there are kids here all the time, there are kids everywhere you turn around, they're not really worried about that. Now, in my opinion, when I look at it, when I think if anybody else was to look at the case, I think that sometimes it also has to come down to the thing of a racial disparity. Okay, so since you say it's like a racial disparity, R, Caitlin, what do you guys think about this? So my thought is that racial disparity exists, of course. Um, I actually wrote a paper. Our paper is based on uh, racism and um, ma mass incarceration. So throughout history, obviously, we've seen that um, African-Americans, you know, and blacks are, you know, a group of targeted individuals. Because if you see, like, after World, World War I, um, I mean, not World War One, the Civil War here. After the Civil War, we saw that there was a peak of mass incarceration. And then after the, um, after the civil rights movement, there was also a peak in mass incarceration. And so we continue to see that there, those are the trends. And right now we also see that mass incarceration is targeted towards you know, um, African-Americans popu African -American population. So I'm pretty sure that you know, um, in, in terms of racial disparity, it's going to be very hard for them to reintegrate into society because they're, you know, from oppression throughout history we already see that so like in order in order to for change to come about like we're going to need like very very like a lot of things needs to be done in order for um our system to be changed yeah our, i agree with you completely i think it's definitely important to talk about the beginning of, of racial disparities when we're talking about this topic because we have to think about not only the racial disparities of finding a job after re-entry, but the racial disparities of how do these people get into prison? Because 
our, our person who was applying to law school was a black man with a drug offense. And who's to say that if he was a white man, he may not have even gotten that felony in the first place. So I think we need to go from the beginning and talk about the root of the problem here and the racial disparities that are actually causing this issue. And those are wonderful points. And that's the point that we're trying to make here in this class is that even though you may have two people who both have felonies, they are not going to end up the same. You can have a violent sexual offense. We, we did our research. These sexual offenses are not things that um, anybody would want to read about or anybody would want to happen to them or someone that they love or anybody in general. But because this young man who was selling drugs to support himself and because of the drug dealer threatening his family, he still sold the drugs. He didn't even get a chance. He did a long time in prison, and so did the person who committed the sexual offense. But UB still employed this man who committed a sexual offense, and there are children and on the campus, and he's around them. And it's not fair that, you know, we talk about reentry and we assume that it's going to be a one-size-fits-all system. That is not the case at all. If that was the case, then everybody would have an opportunity. We would not have so much poverty in UB, especially on South Campus, where there are a lot of people on the campus who um, live right down there from us who have been incarcerated. And if UB is talking about this issue as a problem of assuming risk and they don't want to take the risk with this person not being able to get their license, then why doesn't UB or the whole SUNY system an extremely powerful and a big money source in New York State. Why aren't they fighting this issue and bringing it up to the governors and the state representatives to try and get this changed and say, hey, maybe it's wrong to deny people with a criminal history their certification after they pass the boards. Like, why aren't they fighting this issue with all the power that they have? They're just saying, oh no, we don't wanna accept this risk. And it's interesting that you brought up that point because um, what I wanted to also say is that um, with our, in terms of our system, like I feel like when, with a, when a drug dealer commit, not a drug dealer, but when someone commit a felony in regards to drugs, um, their reentry into the system is not going to be easy because sometimes the help and support may not be there once they get out. And they, you know, they might end up having to fend for themselves or use any power that they have and you know after incarceration of course no one not many people want to hire you because you have that felony background and so you know sometimes this is maybe the reason why we have we also have a high recidivism rate and speaking of recidivism when it comes to re-entry we're trying to avoid that we don't want people to end up back into the system, which is why universities like UB, um, when we are in a, a web where we have Alden and we have Attica, the prison right there, if we have people who are coming out who have done the work, why not give them the opportunity to be more than just the people who may clean up or may work in UB dining? They should be able to take classes just like the rest of us. If they have no housing, give them somewhere to live on, on campus. Because I'm pretty sure most of us have had people who we went to school with who've done some really bad things, 
and they're still on campus, they're still getting a degree, they just haven't gotten caught. Mm -hmm. The people who are in prison, they got caught, they didn't have the money, or maybe they just you know, did a plea deal because they didn't want to get any more time to take it to trial, and now they have no choice but to do their time, but what are they coming back to? That's not fair. And while speaking to, to Sharon Nolan Wise, you know, we discussed that, how UB wants to move forward. But, you know, even wait. with... Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that UB wants to move forward, but what, like, what actions are they actually putting in to actually move forward? Because they're going to keep talking about diversity, inclusion, and all of that. But we're going to always go back to that one thing, racism, mm. and all that exclusion. Mm -hmm. And, like, for that, for UB to do that, it sometimes makes you want to think, like, are they actually here for the people or are they here for the money? Money. Rose, that's, that's an amazing point. And I, I want to really commend you on that point because I, I understand how you feel. I understand completely. Um, when it comes to moving forward, what I know from the interview is the people who are hiring you are not doing the background checks on you. They're not doing the risk assessment meetings. It is a completely separate board. But remember the one thing we learned in class, discretion. It is their discretion. It is what they want to accept or not accept. Because whether we like it or not, UB is a powerhouse in Buffalo and everything about UB is also about their reputation and their alumni. So we also have to remember that this is an investment for them. So when it comes to employment, how about starting something kind of like a double blind type of employment? Like they won't know what they, kind of like the voice actually. They're going to be behind a little screen and then they're going to be talking. Maybe have like a fake voice or something. They won't have everything blind. And if they like the criteria that they meet and all of that, it sounds like a reach. But I mean, if that's the case, is that what we have to actually go through? Like and actually have to actually, you know. <clears throat> deal with in order to find some type of like inclusion or any type of diversity and we have to go through all of that you know what so be it if that's the case I guess so like they can just have a whole double blind they won't know that they have a felony they won't know what race they are all they're gonna see is a resume and from that resume they're gonna be like, are, is this person qualified is the person qualified? they're gonna be hired and if they don't see what they see when they walk through that door too bad you're the one who hired them that's your own fault <laughs> Right, and we can always talk about diversity and inclusion, but do they really mean it? Like, so diversity is one thing, but inclusion is giving people a voice on the table, right? So the, the minorities, UB represents like a, a very diversity, you know, a diverse backgrounds, but are we giving the, the voices to those um, minorities on campus? Or is it the majority that is leading the school? I think that, you know, from what we see, it's not always the, the minority or the people who are excluded who may have that opportunity. You know, being on this campus, like, let's keep it real. We don't always have that voice of the person who looks like you. We have the voice of a person who does not look like you, and they are the person who may be um, representing you. I think that uh, we just have to, you know, keep, as public health professionals, keep finding ways to hold you be accountable 
and hold all of the the services who are in charge of employment, who are in charge of you know financial aid, who are in charge of um, any kind of school services accountable so that they are able to not only include those students, especially those students who are very young, who have felonies, and you know allow them the chance to live on campus, allow them the chance to have financial aid, allow them the chance to get into certain programs that they would not normally get into. And that today is the end of our podcast, Bad Boys or Bad System. Thank you for listening to us. So we leave you with a question today. Are they bad boys or is it a bad system? You You decide. decide.